Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Let me be the very first, perhaps, to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't mean to sound cliche this morning, but how in the world did November happen to us already, right? I mean, it is November 2018, and uh, man, I don't know where this year got away to, but I guess like they say, time flies when you're having fun, right? And we are here in November, and of course, we are approaching, our forward glance tells us that we are approaching the season that we have set aside to observe certain holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and we... Uh, certainly are hastening towards Thanksgiving, and I want to launch in a series of messages this week about being thankful, being a thankful people. It's, uh, you know, it's never too early. I actually did a Thanksgiving series one time in July and uh, said, hey, Thanksgiving is a year-round thing, right? It's not just uh, uh, relegated to the third Thursday of November but it is a year-round thing. It should be a daily thing, but I always like to take opportunity around this time to encourage you to have a thankful, uh, uh, an outlook of thanksgiving and a thankful state of mind. And I'm going to start that today with this message and share with you a message today that is entitled, I'm thankful to have been called to the table. I'm thankful to have been called to the table. I want to tell you something. Um, when you're a kid out in the yard and you're, you're playing, you, how many of you played outside when you were children? Right? Yeah. We used to do that back in the day. And from the time you got up, during the summertime especially, until almost dark or maybe even after dark, uh, but, but there was always one time during the day that you always anticipated, and that was hearing Mama holler out the back door, Dinner's ready. It's time to eat. Come wash up. Get ready. You'd been invited to the table. And you and I in this room today, we've been invited to the table. And I'm thankful to have been uh, invited in such a manner. So if you've got your word with you today, 2 Samuel chapter 9. The plan of this message today is to share with you an Old Testament narrative and draw a New Testament era parallel from that story. In order for this to begin to make sense to you, I want to remind you of a few particulars or a few nuances about this so it'll kind of set a context for you to help understand where we're going with that. We're going to be talking about some people from the nation of Israel. And in the, in the earlier days of the nation of Israel, that nation was considered what we would call a theocracy. Um, we live, our form of government, of course, is a democratic republic, meaning that officials are elected and they are supposedly there to represent the will of the people and they rule and make laws accordingly. Now, a theocracy is a system of government in which the priests rule in the name of of God. And for the longest time, Israel, for generations, had been a nation that was under theocratic rule. People heard from God, holy men heard from God, and they declared, Thus says the Lord to the people of Israel. But there came a point when 
Israel began to look around at the rest of the world and they realized that there was something peculiar about them. There was something different. There was something strange. And that was that every other nation around them had a king. And they began to call out to God and say, God, we want a king. Everybody else has a king. Why don't we have a king? Let us have a king. So God relents and, and lets them have a king. And of course, you will remember the story if you read back in the first part of this uh, book. We're in 2 Samuel. If you'll go back to 1st, you'll read about a prophet by the name of Samuel that God uh, appoints him to go out and find the king and anoint the king. And he finds this man by the name of Saul. And he anoints Saul, the king of Israel. And Saul serves as, as the king of Israel. But along the way, Saul repeatedly fails and fails without repentance. So as the story goes, Saul is to be replaced as the king of Israel. Even while he's still there on the throne, God is working. And the same prophet Samuel goes and he visits the house of a man named Jesse. And he looks among Jesse's sons and finally he looks at all those that have been presented to him. He said, none of these are that person, but God has showed me that the next king would come out of your house. So they have to go out in the pasture and they find a young boy by the name of David. And they anoint David, the next king of Israel. Well, of course, there is from this point a long and assorted saga that surrounds this transition of power and rule. You, I'm sure if you've studied the Bible any length of time, you're well familiar with what I'm talking about here. And we're not going to take the time to cover all that, but suffice it to say that David, during the course of this, had opportunity more than once to just take matters into his own hands and wrest the power from Saul's hands. But he refused to do that, and rather... He waited on the Lord's timing and he waited on God's perfect plan to unfold for his life and the life of this nation. And there finally came a day when Saul and Saul's son Jonathan, who was a very dear friend of David, were slain in battle. And they died. And we all know that Saul had this son named Jonathan and that Jonathan had a son whose name was Mephibosheth. Everybody say it with me. <laughs> right? You know, I was preparing this message and I, was, I reflected back to my five-year-old self and I was sitting in a kindergarten classroom and they hand you that piece of paper with all the little lines on it and they begin to teach you how to write your name. Could you imagine going to kindergarten with a name like Mephibosheth? And having to learn how to write your name for the first time, four or five years old. And uh, man, that would be something else, wouldn't it? But uh, we had a, we, Jonathan, who was Saul's son, had a son, and his name was Mephibosheth. And when news of Jonathan's and Saul's death reached home, if you'll turn just a couple of pages back forward in your Bible to 2 Samuel 4, you find this word in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. And it says that Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. And when the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became 
crippled. So the news comes in. They flee in a hurry. The nurse drops the child and he becomes crippled. In other words, Mephibosheth is injured by a fall. He is injured by a fall that ushers a brokenness into his life. He's crippled. And some time passes here. They go into hiding. Nobody knows where Mephibosheth is. Nobody knows that he's still alive or that he's on the planet even. And some time passes and nobody knows where he is. And a few chapters later, we find Mephibosheth in a city called Lodabar. I want to show you how this man, Mephibosheth, who is crippled by a fall and living in a land named Lodabar represents every single one of us at some point in our lives and may absolutely be indicative of where you are living and doing life right now. I also want to show you how this land in which he dwelt was a very real spiritual condition. So let's begin with a name. Let's begin with the name. Here's this man, Mephibosheth. He's fallen, he's lame, and he's fleeing from the presence of the king. And his destination would be the land of Lodabar. Now, if you're keeping up with us on the notes on the backside... Uh, this name, Lodabar, translated from the Hebrew, actually means, the meaning of this name is pastureless. Now understand that in an agricultural society where there was a lot of shepherding and the, the bulk of wealth came from cattle and sheep and those things. I mean, if you had a lot of cattle and you had a lot of sheep, then you were considered a rich person. And can you imagine then, if you can put the two together here, that he's living in a land whose name is, means pastureless. So he's broken, he's depleted, he's barren. It's a place that represents a lack of sustenance, a place where there's nothing that's truly satisfying. And that's where Mephibosheth has taken residence. You see, in this moment, as I said, this man is a picture of all of us at some point in time because at some point in time, all of us have fallen. The Word says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in that fallen state, we are broken. I'm broken. You are broken. Apart from Christ Jesus in your life and the work of the Holy Spirit, you are broken. Do you realize how much time in this room we spend talking about the brokenness of humanity? And we have all fallen and we've all been broken. And when we fall and we are broken and we choose to continue to live in that state, that state of sinfulness and that state of brokenness, we find very soon that the place that we have chosen to dwell, the place that we have chosen to do life, and the place that we are residing in is a place that is pastureless. There's nothing there that really satisfies the deep longings of our heart. You know, the Word says that the pleasures of sin are but for a season. But the end is destruction. We have fun for a little while and then we figure out that that doesn't satisfy us anymore. 
We've got to move on to something else because it, the, the, the pleasure of that sin is short-lived. And Mephibosheth is here in his brokenness and he's living in this land that is pastureless. Now, Lodabar represents a life of sin. It's living to satisfy the pleasures of the flesh. How many of you know that that is very temporary? You can live to feed the flesh, but the satisfaction that you derive from that lifestyle is very temporary. It's not lasting. It's not satisfying. It, it represents the vanity and the emptiness of a life apart from God, the pastureless Uh, The pleasures of sin that last only for a season and then their moment is fleeting and gone. It represents a place of unfounded fear. You see, there were two great distressing problems in Mephibosheth's life. Number one was those two lame feet. He was messed up and he knew it. He was broken, and he knew it. And in his brokenness, even though he was aware of it every day when he saw others around him exercising their mobility and walking around and moving, he was aware of his brokenness, but guess what? There wasn't one thing that he could do about it himself. And in our brokenness, We can't fix ourselves. We can't mend the brokenness of our own heart. We can't heal the burden that's on the inside of us. So here's Mephibosheth. He's there and he's living with these two lame feet. And his second great concern, his second great problem, is his fear of one day having to face the king. How many of you, before you came to faith in the Lord, you ran from the Lord? You resisted. You hid. You came to church service, the Spirit of the Lord began to deal with your heart, and suddenly you had to go to the restroom. You you fled from the presence of the Lord. You fled from the presence of the king. But you see, there's a really real threat behind this story. Because understand this, that it, it wasn't just simply that the nurse drew him up without calls and ran away with him. You see, it was customary in that day when a new king took over that any of the existing relatives, any of the bloodline of that deposed king would be slaughtered that they would all be killed that they would face judgment just based on who they were and and that is the reason that the nurse took him up in such haste and fled from him and I'm sure that every passing day he lived with fear that one day it would be found out that something remained of the bloodline of Saul that David was going to come looking for him. Everything that said bump made this man think that the king's men were at the door. And for fear of facing the king, he continues to reside in a pastureless land. 
But here's the great thing about Mephibosheth's situation and a situation that is familiar to all of us because as I said, we've all been broken. We know what that's like. We know what it's like to live a vain and an empty life and to live in a place where there's no satisfaction. And that is that when you finally hit rock bottom, there's nowhere to go but up. When, when you are in the worst, let me encourage you with this today, when you are in some of seemingly the worst situations that you've ever faced, can I tell you that you are in a prime and a perfect place for God's redemption to be made manifest in your life? You see, Lodabar represents a place for redemption. This man had lived in a lifetime of fear. I don't know how much time had passed, but I do know this, that Mephibosheth was five years old when news of his father's death reached him, and now he has children of his own. So he's lived a lifetime like this. And jump in here with me, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And I love this because you know how it was. You were living in your brokenness. You were dwelling in your pastureless land. And one day the Holy Spirit of the Lord knocked on the door of your heart. And this time you didn't run. This time you didn't run. But you began to have a brand new understanding. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, one day the king's curiosity is ignited. And he begins to think to himself, I wonder if there's anybody from Jonathan's household left. And he says, is there anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And he summoned a man, Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. And he said, are you Ziba, the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. And the king said to him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him. At the home of Mekir, the son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Mekir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth said, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David replied. I intend to show you kindness. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Oh, come on, somebody. And then he bowed himself. And he says, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, I was broken, and I was living in a pastureless land. 
I was blind, but now I see. And the king called to Ziba's Saul's servant and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. Listen to this. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Come on, somebody. Here's this man, he was living in fear and he was living in brokenness and he was living in emptiness and vanity and he was afraid of the king. But the king come to him and said, listen, I want to show you kindness. I want to take you away from that place of emptiness and vanity, that pastureless land and I want to bring you into my house and I want to set you at my table and I want to share fellowship with you and you will evermore dine with me. (laughs) Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open his heart, I will come in. I will come in. You were strangers and you were foreigners from the household of God. But you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, he has raised up together. And caused us to sit together in heavenly places. Today, church, you've been called to the table. You've been called to the table of God's mercy and his goodness. The table of his supply. He is the bread of life. He is the never-ending fountain. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Oh, oh, do you remember? Do you remember the prodigal? He went out and he wasted all his sustenance on riotous living. And one day something awakened in him and he said, even the servants have it better in my father's house than I have here slopping with the hogs. I will arise and go back to my father's house. And he had his speech rehearsed and prepared all in his mind and he heads towards home with the expectation of living some type of substandard existence. No longer the life of a son, but maybe perhaps if his father would have him back, possibly the life of a servant. But his father welcomes him in, runs to him, says, hey, kill the fatted calf. Get a ring and a robe, my boy's home. 
He's not going to be a servant in this house. He's going to eat like the rest of the family. Can I tell you the word says whom the son is set free is free indeed. You don't have to live like a servant anymore. You can pull up your place at the table and sit down and eat like the king's son. You don't have to live in Lodabar anymore. You don't have to be ashamed of your brokenness because the grace of God covers it all. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. Time out. Right here. And he was lame in both of his feet. He was lame. I want you to look, just, just look to your left, to your right. Those that are seated around you. Can I tell you, they're not perfect. Everybody look, look this way. I'm not perfect. I'm broken. I have weaknesses. I have infirmities in my own life, in my own spirit, in my own heart, in my own mind. But when he calls us and we come and we sit down with him, the table of his grace covers it all. And that's just between me and him. He's got me covered. Those feet were still broken, but they were covered by the table of God's goodness. And he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. I've got a word for you today. If you've been holding out, you've been trying to get yourself together you're in this place today you're watching by the internet you're listening to a podcast I want to tell you quit waiting today is the day of salvation you don't have to put yourself back together you just have to accept the invitation to come and dine come and dine the master calls come and dine we can feast at Jesus table all the time he who fed the multitudes turned the water in the wine to the hungry call it now. Come and dine. I want to ask our brethren to go ahead and assemble themselves and come and wait on you this morning and serve the sacraments. You see, we're all like Mephibosheth. We have a king. We're messed up. We have lame feet. We can't walk like we're supposed to. We can't get around as we should. There's been some point in our lives when we opted for life in Lodabar because of our reluctance to stand before the king for fear that our brokenness would be exploited. And sometimes we have even assumed that our king meant to harm us. 
and ours is a just king. And one day justice will be dispensed on the nations. But his will and intention today in this hour of grace is that all men receive the free gift of salvation. God didn't send his son into the world to bleed and die to buy himself the right to judge you. He already had that. But he was prompted by his great love for you. It's his desire that men would no longer settle for life in a pastureless land of Lodabar, but they would come and be made to lie down in the green pastures and be led by the still waters. And where barrenness and pastureless lands had parched our souls, that we would be again restored around his table. See, there's so many of us today like Mephibosheth there, who sat in the presence of the king with all of our brokenness covered by the table of his grace and we feast on the goodness that he provides. And I don't know about you today, but I'm thankful to have been called to the table. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to share with you today that God is calling you to the table. If you've been avoiding, if you've been reluctant, then I want to urge you today that today is the day of salvation. This is your moment. If you say, Pastor, I've been that one. And today I want to heed God's call to come and dine. I want to make him the Lord and King of my life. If that's you, if you just slip a hand up quickly. We're going to pray with you and we're going to move on. Anybody? Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm going to ask our servers to come this morning. If you guys would go ahead and prepare to distribute the sacraments today. We're going to celebrate having been called to the table and give thanks to the Lord. Amen. I asked our worship team, I kind of threw them a curveball this week, especially with Pastor Trey being out of town this week and everything. But I knew with the talent of this wonderful team that they'd be able to arise to the occasion. And I want to invite you to stand this morning and we're going to celebrate the glorious goodness of God's grace. I ask them to just sing an old hymn of the church here. So if you would just join along with us, I'm sure that you know it.
this morning with all my family to share together and to recount the goodness and the grace of our Lord the word of the Lord says for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me father we thank you for sending your son into this world Jesus we thank you for being willing Lord you said no man takes your life but you freely give it you laid it down so that I could situate my brokenness under the table of your goodness, under the covering of your grace. And Lord, we thank you for a body that was broken, that the chastisement of our peace was upon you, and that by your stripes we are healed. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's share the bread together today. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we thank you for your precious blood. Because it is not with the blood of bulls or goats or corruptible things that we have been redeemed but by the precious blood of the Lamb. And we thank you, Lord, for that sin-breaking blood that has been effectively applied to our lives so that our sins are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. God, not only do we gather around your table today, but we do so confidently through the shed blood of Jesus Christ knowing that it is finished the work is complete in our lives through the sacrifice of Calvary and the outpouring of your blood and we thank you for this new covenant in Jesus name amen let's share the cup together this morning we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today if you would like more information about Faith Assembly please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org Thanks again for joining us and we hope you have a blessed day.